1: everybody, Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. This, I believe, is a very important program today, so I hope you'll stick with us. The votes have been analyzed over and over and over again. I can't add anything to it. Do you know, uh, since this president was elected and inaugurated there have really been two areas that have been focused on in public life, not exclusively, but significantly. One has been the criminalization of his election, and the other has been broad discussion about impeaching him, even before he entered office and right at the time he did enter office. So this discussion, which has been pushed by the Democrats and the media and certain academics and so forth about removing a duly elected president of the United States under our Constitution has been all about unelecting a duly elected president of the United States through either criminal prosecution or impeachment. And I think we need to discuss both of these a little bit more thoroughly Because they're not going away. Oh, almost a year and a half ago, I was doing some research, which is my want, that's what I do, on the Constitution and the law, history and economics, philosophy and so forth. And I came across these two memos from the Department of Justice, the Office of Legal Counsel, which is the so-called Constitution Office. And uh, one was from 1973 and one was from 2000, the Nixon administration and the Clinton administration. And they prepared this memorandum, each respectively, for their respective attorneys general. And they both concluded that you cannot indict a sitting president. So I tried to push this out on this program, on Levin TV, on Fox on Hannity's program. Nobody appeared to be listening. February 7th of this year, Alan Dershowitz, who is ubiquitous in the media and quoted a lot by conservatives, he insisted that a president could be subpoenaed, could be brought in front of a federal grand jury, even though it's never been done, and he doesn't have many defenses. Maybe he could plead the fifth and so forth and so on. I called my buddy Sean and I said, This is outrageous. And he wasn't the only one. All kinds of leaks in the media. What can the president do? And so forth and so on. And I said, I'm going to continue to hit this issue with these memos that a sitting president cannot be indicted. And therefore, if he is to be subpoenaed, it has to be very focused, it has to be limited. And it has to involve something that he may have done or have unique information on. And then I went back on his program, among others, and I kept hitting the point that a sitting president cannot be indicted. Whatever my opinion is doesn't matter. That's the opinion of the United States Department of Justice. It has been unaltered for almost half a century. And I further made the point that when Rod Rosenstein appointed... Robert Mueller, Robert Mueller is and was compelled to comply with Department of Justice rules, regulations, and policies. In other words, these memos apply to Mr. Mueller whether he likes it or not. And if he didn't comply with the memos, then, of course, the president and his lawyers would have a very strong case in federal court. So those of you who've been listening to me and watching me know that I've said over and over again that the Constitution is the President's friend. I cannot predict what a federal court, a federal appeals court, or the Supreme Court will do. But the Constitution itself is the President's friend in this regard. Why? Because the President hasn't committed any crimes... There's no assertion of any underlying crime. We know this because when Rosenstein appointed Mueller, there was no assertion of an underlying crime. And we know more. That Mr. Mueller seeks to ask the president about matters that involve the president's prerogatives under the Constitution. Firing subordinates and so forth. For which Mr. Mueller has absolutely no authority Either under the appointment he received by Rosenstein or certainly under the Constitution to ask the President of the United States. You see, folks, to become President of the United States is quite an involved and complex matter. You campaign for a couple of years, you go in state after state after state, you give endless interviews, you participate in numerous debates. You compete with other people. You become the nominee of your party. You compete against the other nominee of the other party. It's quite an ordeal. It's quite an involved process. The American people can participate or not. 120, million did. We have precincts. We have precinct captains. We have precinct judges. We have precinct observers. We have states that have laws all to elect a president and vice president of the United States, and then ultimately the Electoral College. For one prosecutor, a myopically obsessed prosecutor, to reverse that entire process, to denude us of the outcome of the election, to undo an election, to try and remove a president is an abomination. It's unconscionable. If the president of the United States had robbed a bank in broad daylight, he cannot be indicted as president of the United States. He can be indicted after he's president. Steps can be taken to toll the statute of limitations. He can be removed from office, from impeachment. I will get to that. That's the second shoe that's dropped here. But this effort pushed by the Democrats, uh, heated by Rod Rosenstein, a bureaucrat, unleashing Mr. Mueller, an unconstitutional prosecutor, to take down the Article II executive branch head, is simply an abomination. If Mr. Mueller wants to ask questions of Mr. Trump, he must accommodate the President of the United States. He may not be free to ask questions of the President about presidential powers. It's none of Mr. Mueller's business. Why he fired a particular subordinate. It's none of Mr. Mueller's business. And this is not the Martha Stewart case where she was set up. This is the President of the United States. And imagine if the contrary were true. That a prosecutor accountable to no one, elected by no one, if a prosecutor was free to do whatever he wished, to see Pina President And ask the president virtually anything he wants, in any way he wants, even in front of a grand jury. Imagine if such a creature had that kind of power over the office of the presidency, regardless of who the president is. It would be absolute evisceration of our constitutional order. And as these memos note from the Department of Justice, the president is different from a member of Congress because there's 535 of them. President is different from a federal judge because there's a thousand of them. There's only one president. And at the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia in the summer of 1787, when they debated impeachment, virtually... The entire focus was on the presidency, how to handle it, which I'll get to in a moment. And so we have a prosecutor with an open-ended portfolio with no actual crime. And so he seeks to create one. And he's urged to create one by a so-called free press that pretends to be protecting us from tyranny. He's urged to create one by a Democrat party which from day one sought to undo Trump's election. This is why I've spent so much time on Fox. Not because I want to, because I felt I needed to. Because I felt the president's lawyers could hear me that way. This is why I spent so much time on Levin TV and behind this microphone talking about these subjects to get the word out to you, the people, so you could spread the word too. It was not understood six, seven, eight months ago that according to two Department of Justice memos, a sitting president cannot be indicted while in office. The issue isn't whether he's above the law the issue is the Constitution and whether Mr. Mueller can on his own alter it and whether Mr. Mueller on his own can alter the outcome of an election by trying to create a trap for a president Mr. Mueller only knows one thing as a former FBI director, former U.S. attorney going after criminals that's all he knows using the power and the resources of the federal government, to put people in prison. And yet, when it comes to the President of the United States, that's not his job. He can't put the President in prison. Now, let's talk about this President when we return. Does this President deserve this kind of scrutiny? Does this president deserve this kind of treatment? Obstruction of justice? Has anybody obstructed Mr. Mueller and his 17 prosecutors? Has anybody obstructed the FBI and Mr. Ray from conducting their investigations? Has anybody obstructed the Department of Justice? You're going to look at his tweets as a prosecutor to decide if he's signaling obstruction of some kind? This is where we are. This is why I said over and over and over again, his lawyers need to get it through their heads that they are not to serve up this president. Under no circumstances should he be asked questions about Comey, about any decisions relating to his staff, any decisions relating uh, to his firing of individuals or hiring of individuals, any decisions about his tweeting, his public comments. Off the table. At no point should there be a face-to-face verbal interview. Period. If there's a handful of questions that they have that are serious and earnest, then they can put them in writing where Mr. Trump can review them with his counsel. He can answer them or not, if he chooses to. Depending on how the questions are asked and what they relate to. But there are also questions for Mr. Comey. What is your constitutional authority? Are you, as we've talked about, a principal or an inferior officer of the United States government? We want his input. Do the two memos from the Department of Justice apply to you? Or do you not think they apply to you? And so forth. There are predicates that need to be set for him. I don't know exactly what's taking place. I'm reading the tea leaves like you, some of the reports today. I'm trying to ignore all the phony lawyers jumping up and down, whether they're professors or otherwise, who think they know something and know almost nothing. But it would appear at last that the president's lawyers seem to be taking this course. I hope so. I've got a lot more when I return. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. This is really more than Donald Trump. We have a systemic breakdown of law and order at the Department of Justice. This was unleashed by Rod Rosenstein. He continues to expand the authority of a special counsel without any criminal basis. They throw out terms now to the media, and the media regurgitate them like conspiracy to commit fraud in an election. Tell me, is any presidential campaign going all the way back to John Kennedy's corrupt campaign or Lyndon Johnson's corrupt campaign or any of them, have any of them been charged with conspiracies? to, to uh, commit fraud in the election context. Has any senator been accused of that? Any congressman? Of course not. So they make this stuff up. They make this stuff up. Donald Trump has done nothing to deserve this. Nothing. But we have a mob now. A mob dressed up as reporters. A mob dressed up as Democrats in Congress. A mob dressed up as never-Trumpers. It's a mob. And they don't particularly care what gallow is used politically speaking, whether it's criminal or impeachment, whatever it is. They just want Trump figuratively hanging from it. The constitutional concern is not merely that any particular indictment and criminal prosecution of a sitting president would unduly impinge upon his ability to perform his public duties. A more general concern is that permitting such criminal process against a sitting president would affect the underlying dynamics of our governmental system in profound and necessarily unpredictable ways by shifting an awesome power to unelected persons like a prosecutor, lacking an explicit constitutional role vis-à-vis the president. Given the potentiality and the momentous political consequences for the nation at stake, there is a fundamental, structural incompatibility between the ordinary application of the criminal process and the office of the President, the United States Department of Justice. I'll be right back. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods But what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN.
0: The establishment's worst nightmare. Mark Levin.
1: Call in now, 877-381-3811. If in fact the rule of law and the Constitution are not complied with, in this case involving this president who's done nothing, What stops any U.S. attorney from subpoenaing a president? Now, some might say, particularly liberal law professors, well, how is this any different than Bill Clinton? In the Clinton versus Paula Jones case, he had to sit down for deposition and so forth and so on. Well, if you read the memos, they explain the difference between criminal and civil cases. There is no immunity from certain types of civil cases certain types but there is from criminal cases now why would that be do you think because criminal cases actually involve an individual fighting for their liberty civil cases do not due process probable cause warrants all this very very important to keep you free A criminal case is different in kind and form than a civil case. And they also point out in these memos that the President of the United States, far from being above the law, he'd be below the law. Now, why would that be? Because he is so consumed by the duties of the office of the presidency, as we only have one, can't take time off, that he wouldn't be able to focus his attention on his liberty on a trial. And during the course of discovery, in the course of a trial, in the course of an appeal, and so forth and so on, uh, the needs of the country are unmet. The purpose of the office of the presidency is degraded. And of course, the president as a citizen does not have the ability to defend himself as any other citizen would in terms of focusing time and attention. So if a president is going to be subpoenaed by a prosecutor whose very constitutionality is questionable in my view, then that subpoena better be very damn narrow. And it better have a serious purpose, other than the phrases thrown around on cable TV and by certain hothead members of Congress, obstruction of justice, conspiracy to uh, f- commit fraud in an election. These are idiotic, empty phrases. The President of the United States, in firing a subordinate, is incapable of obstructing justice, which is a crime. It, he is incapable of committing a crime when he is exercising his constitutional prerogative ...to fire a subordinate. Or he'd never be able to fire an FBI director. They could always blackmail him. Or he'd never be able to file a CIA director. They could always blackmail him. It's absurd. And for what? And why should we do it? For what? Now we've had this vote... ...last night. And you'll be fooling yourself... ...if you think the Republicans are going to have a Republican wave... You'll be fooling yourselves if you don't think we're behind the eight ball here and we better fight like hell to win the next election. This, ladies and gentlemen, is an election to protect the vote from two years ago. The Democrats have made it abundantly clear, despite their new tactics to keep it hush-hush, they've made it abundantly clear that the purpose of taking the House of Representatives is for removing a duly elected president of the United States with whom they disagree. You must keep that in mind when you vote. I have one question now for my representative, Barbara Comstock, in my particular district. Just one. You're going to file the Constitution? Not vote to impeach the president? Well, for this midterm election, that's enough. It's enough right now. Is it enough Down the road, no, it's not enough down the road with the massive debt and so forth. But the Republicans seem incapable of handling it. And that's another point. You want to know why the Republicans are getting their asses kicked? or these elections are so close? Because all the action is in the office of the presidency. All the action is in the executive branch. Oh, they gave us a tax cut. The president calls it the greatest tax cut in American history. Not even close. Oh, and the Senate prides itself on on giving us a Supreme Court justice and maybe a second. That's their job. But they also gave us the biggest, most massive spending bill in world history. And the yearly deficit is up 20%, and it's going to bite us in, an ass, in the ass. It's going to destroy the future of this country. And they refuse to support the president's efforts to build the wall. Whether it's fencing or wall, I don't care. They refuse to build what they need to build. And of course, when the time came they refused to repeal Obamacare. There's a lot of problems, and so the base is not rallying to the Republicans. Meanwhile, the Democrat base is all worked up by the media, the Democrat Party media, which is the so called free press. And the endless the endless efforts by the Democrats to fire up their base with racism, with xenophobia. and of course with their hate for Trump so I look at voting a little differently Every, well you know this one voted this way he should have said this and that But no 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 this vote is important for a different reason and let me tell you something as important as the vote is it was never intended to be this important now what do I mean I don't mean people shouldn't have a right to vote that would be absurd Everyone should have the franchise who's a citizen of the United States and qualifies. That's not my point. My point is we sit on the edge of our seats to see how even a House election turns out. One House seat. Why? Because this government has gotten so big, it is so massive, that the politicians rule us. Massive bureaucracy, massive programs... Massive debt It's everywhere They're in our face They're in our bedrooms They're in our kitchens They're in our automobiles They're in our place of work They're in our place of employ They're everywhere The federal government is everywhere So whoever wins Wins the spoils and the riches To get to decide Which way the country goes But we conservatives We want to win In order to reduce that To control that We don't seek power To expand our power We seek power To limit our power But the Democrats in this election want to do something that I don't believe has ever been done in American history. If it has, I'm not familiar with it. They have wanted to impeach a sitting president from the moment he sat down. And they are committed to this. And that is why they're turning out in huge numbers. In addition to the endless allegations of racism and... uh, anti this and anti that for which there is no real substantive basis or support at all so then we get to the issue of impeachment Professor Dershowitz has written a book on impeachment which is largely dead wrong others including friends of mine writing at National Review Online and elsewhere think they understand impeachment because they're lawyers they are dead wrong Yes, impeachment is a political process, but it's more than that. Gerald Ford wanted to impeach William O. Douglas in April 1970, and he asserted that an impeachable offense is whatever the House with the concurrence of the Senate considers it to be. So he insisted that impeachment is an illimitable power. Now that rings kind of strangely in American ears, doesn't it? For illimitable power is alien to a constitution that was designed to fence all power. To fence all power. We're not populists. This isn't a democracy. Nor is it a mobocracy. Although it seems to be heading in that direction. It's a republic, a constitutional republic. Which limits the mob, which limits the majority, which limits minority factions which limits centralized government, which leaves as much room as possible for the individual to flourish on his or her own. And yet, that's not what's happened, is it? That's not what's happened at all. And so we move to this issue of impeachment. Now, some have said that the president has to actually commit a crime for it to be an impeachable offense. Now, how absurd is that? How do we know that a president has committed a crime? We just said that a president cannot be indicted while he's in office. That's the official position of the Department of Justice. So we have to wait for a president to be indicted, then a criminal trial, then a conviction, then an appeal, then a decision, then another appeal to the Supreme Court, then a decision. Now that's absurd. That's absurd. That's not what impeachment's about at all. Take a look at Alsty Hastings. He was a federal judge in Florida. He was indicted, I don't know, for taking money for this case or that case, and he was actually found not guilty. But the evidence was substantial. And he was impeached by the House of Representatives, and removed by the United States Senate. No small task. Then he ran, by the way, and he became a member of the House of Representatives in a one-party district from which he can be elected for the rest of his life, but that's a footnote. Impeachment is not supposed to be whatever the House of Representatives says. Impeachment is not supposed to be a purely political process, although that's the motivating factor. There are certain standards for impeachment that are utterly misunderstood by so-called legal experts. We'll explore them in a little bit when I return.
0: It's
1: the middle of the night. You're tossing, turning, you're covered in sweat. You could run the A.C. or a fan to try and keep cool. Get rid of your heat-trapping mattress and sleep as cool as the other side of the pillow like I do on my Casper mattress. All Casper mattresses use premium foams that relieve pressure and help align your body. So you fall asleep feeling comfortably and wake up feeling refreshed. And I know this firsthand. And thanks to the breathable material, you're guaranteed to sleep coolly all summer long. Casper ships for free in a box so small you won't believe it holds a mattress. That's so you can try it risk-free for 100 nights. There's no risk. If you don't love yours, they'll come pick it up and refund you everything. Or you can go to a strip mall, lie on a bed in a pillow that 400 people have, and uh, then when you wake up, ooh, what's that in my hair? Anyway, I don't recommend it. Go to Casper.com and use code MARK for $50 towards the purchase of select mattresses. That's Casper.com code mark casper.com code mark $50 towards the purchase of select mattresses terms and conditions apply I mean Casper's so good they have copycats now don't ever get the copycats and you can do it very quickly they have a great site this is a wonderful wonderful product and uh, I just wanted to make sure that you consider particularly in the summertime let's start talking about impeachment again and this is why it is important, this election. And we all know it. Article five, uh, Article 2, Section 4 of the Constitution provides, quote, in relevant part, the President, Vice President, all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment, foreign conviction of treason, bribery, or high, other high crimes and misdemeanors. Now, the mistake that is made by law professors and by everybody is you take the word bribery and high crimes and misdemeanors and so forth, and you apply the criminal code to them. Well, there was no criminal code. There was no federal criminal code. The very terms impeachment, treason, bribery or other high crimes and misdemeanors were lifted word for word from English common law. Then you have the divisions The age-old division of functions, which assigned the role of prosecutor to the House of Commons in the Parliament in Britain, while the Lords, the House of Lords, sat in judgment. That was the model of the parallel division of functions between the House of Representatives and the Senate. And as Raoul Berger in his iconic book, Impeachment, The Constitutional Problems, points out, And of far-reaching importance, they separated impeachment from subsequent criminal prosecution. So somebody could be impeached and then prosecuted later on. It never even occurred to them that a president could be prosecuted while in office. Never. So what's Mr. Mueller's job? It's a good question. Berger points out, the path by which the framers arrived at this language is traceable in the records of the Constitutional Convention. Initially, impeachment was to be based upon malpractice or neglect of duty. And I quote, malpractice or neglect of duty. In the Committee of Detail, this became treason, bribery, or corruption. and was then reduced by the Committee of 11 to treason or bribery, When George Mason suggested on the floor of the Constitutional Convention the addition of maladministration, James Madison stood up and remarked that it was so vague. Whereupon, Madison substituted high crimes and misdemeanors, which was adopted without demur. The special nature of high misdemeanors had already been recognized by the convention. So it couldn't just be for maladministration. It couldn't just be for political reasons. It was a much higher bar than that. And yet it didn't have to be convicted of a crime. They didn't anticipate a president would even be charged with a crime while he's in office. Removal would enable the government to replace an unfit officer with a proper person leaving punishment to a later and separate proceeding, if indeed the impeachable offense were thus punishable at all. So if Mr. Mueller was to be appointed, respecting the President of the United States, citizen Donald Trump, his appointment should have come later, not during the course of his presidency. That's what this certainly suggests. The distinction was drawn in the Virginia Convention by George Nichols between disqualification from office and further punishment if, in fact, the president had committed such high crimes as are punishable at common law. So one doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the other. And this is where, again, the subpar thinkers and shoot-from-the-hip types who have law degrees go on and say, well, then it must be political. It must be political. no. Is that what the Constitution says? Where's the word political? It's not in there. Before George Mason moved to add maladministration to treason and bribery, he explained that treason, as defined in the Constitution, will not reach many great and dangerous offenses. Thus, Mason proposed to extend the power of impeachment to reach great and dangerous offenses, attempts to subvert the Constitution by adding maladministration. But Madison again demurred because so vague a term as maladministration, he said, will be equivalent to a tenure during the pleasure of the Senate. And high crimes and misdemeanors was accepted in its place. Manifestly, this substitution was made for the purpose of limiting, not expanding, the initial Mason proposal. In other words... You would immediately have a president of the United States who is subjected to political blackmail because the standard for impeachment would be so low. We don't like him. Or it's just a political action. We can do whatever we want. That's exactly wrong. I'll be right back. 833-RING-BHN Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN promo code LEVIN He's here
0: He's here Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin
1: here. Our number, eight seven seven three eight one three 381 381 We're talking about impeachment. Let's carry that forward here. It's better not to look at impeachment as a political process, but as a constitutional process. It's not purely a political process. It's not supposed to be. It's not supposed to mean if you have a majority in the House, you can vote to remove a president, and then the Senate takes it up and has a trial. That was never the intention. In fact, the opposite is true. They didn't want Congress having the ability to threaten a president when they disagree with the president with political blackmail, that they will act to remove him if the Congress is of another party. And yet what's being discussed now is even worse than that. The fact that the Democrats do not like this president and wish to remove him. You can't find support for that anywhere in American history. Anywhere. Nowhere. The design of the framers, as Berger pointed out, The design of the framers to confer a limited power is confirmed by the rejection of removal by address, which knew no limits. And even so, some uneasiness apparently was excited about the breadth of the power, for there were repeated assurances that impeachment was meant only for great injuries, quote-unquote, great misdemeanors, quote-unquote. James Iridell. Later, a Supreme Court justice told the North Carolina Ratification Convention that the, quote, occasion for its exercise, that is impeachment, will arise from acts of great injury to the community, unquote. Impeachment, said Governor Johnston in that convention, quote, is a mode of trial pointed out for great misdemeanors against the public. From James Wilson's expression of hope in the Pennsylvania Convention, he was a delegate, that impeachments, quote, will seldom happen, unquote. It is inferable that he, too, was concerned only with serious misconduct. In this, the founders were but reflecting English sentiment, as was well put by Solicitor General, later Lord Chancellor Summers, who stated in Parliament in 1691, quote, the power of impeachment ought to be like Goliath's sword, kept in the temple and not used but on great occasions. And remember... The framers of your Constitution relied heavily on British history when they were looking especially at impeachment. The drawing of political lines goes to the motivation that might be behind the given impeachment. The motivation. But it is not the standard. And here we need to recall, writes Berger, that in the great English impeachments, the charges were often the sheerest facade for a politically motivated proceeding, which is exactly what the framers rejected. Rejected. The critical focus in some should not be on political animus, for that is the nature of the beast. In other words, there's always political animus. But on whether Congress is proceeding within the limits of high crimes and misdemeanors and eventually affording a fair trial. And by the way, when you look at the case of the impeachment of President Andrew Johnson, it was clearly not a fair trial. And one brave Republican senator voted against his party and against removing Johnson, and that's why he remained President of the United States for a brief period of time. And setting up an independent president who was to serve for a term And in making cabinet officers a part of the executive branch, the framers surely were aware that a mere vote of no confidence could not, as in England, topple even a cabinet secretary. So this isn't about no confidence. The substance must not be purely political. There are real words that have real meanings, and they can be understood by looking at history. By looking at the Constitutional Convention and Madison's notes, which cite British examples, not mere maladministration, not mere politics, not mere animosity, and yet that's all we have here. That's all we have here. So on the criminal front, they've got nothing. And so they're rooting for an unconstitutional act by an unconstitutional prosecutor to undo the last election. And on the impeachment side, they have nothing. They can bring up the emoluments clause, that is, that the president is making money from foreign interests because he owns hotels. Is this serious? Is that nuts? Or they can try and string together other things Claiming he's a racist and he doesn't follow the rules. He's none of those things either. Absolute sham. Absolute sham. So there's no basis for an indictment whatsoever. There's no basis for impeachment at all. And yet this is all we hear about and have heard about since this man was elected president of the United States. On and on and on, over and over and over again, is his removal, by hook or by crook. And they beat him up every day, beat him up every day. And realizing now that you can't indict a sitting president, of course, Mueller has viewed his uh, his approach as also providing a basis for impeachment. ...thrung around the words obstruction and that sort of thing. Which again... ...is an absolutely inappropriate... ...improper use of a prosecutor. And yet that's what's taking place. So you'll have one man... ...with his own hand-selected team of partisans... ...who will write a report... And if the Democrats take the House, we'll serve the interests of the Democrats in trying to impeach the President. On the criminal side, you have a triumvirate of men who've known each other for decades, who've worked with each other, and who are close friends. Rosenstein's first real job at the Department of Justice was in the unit headed by Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller and James Comey are very, very close friends, as recently as the last Bush administration. Mueller was FBI director, Comey was the deputy attorney general of the United States, where they worked very closely together. But even prior to that, they've known each other for decades. Their families are close. President of the United States fires Mueller's friend Comey. Mueller wants to question the president of the United States about firing his friend Comey. Rosenstein, of all the people he could have selected as a special counsel, which should have been none given the fact that there was no criminal uh, premise for it, picks Robert Mueller, who knows Comey and knows him. That's pretty special, isn't it, for your special counsel? And of course Rosenstein himself has conflicted up the wazoo on the other side of the ledger involving the FISA court And, of course, it was Rosenstein, among others, who recommended the firing at Comey, his old friend. And then he puts out word, it's leaked in the media, that uh, he felt pressured. Mr. Tough Guy Rosenstein felt pressured, former United States attorney. All of this is very unseemly and is very unhealthy for this republic. It's very unhealthy for a country. If you understand statism and you understand progressivism one and the same and then you understand what's taking place constitutionalism and progressivism as i've told you over and over again are incompatible they will use the constitution to destroy the constitution they will try and use the constitution to destroy a duly elected president of the united states and they're hoping that this midterm election they'll elect enough democrats To impeach the president, to unleash scores and scores of subpoenas, one piled on top of another, to cripple the executive branch. And to unleash additional criminal investigations. The Democrat Party acts like the old Soviets, doesn't it? And their surrogates on the college campuses, bullies, violent want absolute conformity of speech and thought. Antifa, whether they like it or not, is a wing of the Democrat Party. Black Lives Matter is a wing of the Democrat Party. CNN is a wing of the Democrat Party. MSNBC is a wing of the Democrat Party, and so forth and so on. And the Democrat Party is the political entity, that is appended to the central government. Federal government and the Democrat Party need each other. They use each other. That's why it's so difficult to reassert constitutional government. That's why it's so difficult to cut spending. That's why it's so difficult to eliminate programs or eliminate agencies or departments. Because the Democrat Party relies on the central government, your taxes, confiscatory taxes, and the ability to regulate you without passing a single law control our politics and they hope our society I'll be right back I want to lay it all out for you and I think that's what we've done there's so much more but I don't want to overdo it today So we've talked a lot about the Constitution. We've talked a lot about criminal law. We've talked a lot about impeachment and voting, the size of government, that these votes really are out of line with what the government was supposed to be. People are running to vote to remove a duly elected president in the last election cycle. They won't even wait until the presidential election cycle. People are running to vote because they think that the Republicans are racist because the Democrats and their party, which was born of slavery, born of segregation, born of Jim Crow, born of poll taxes, born of literacy tax, that's their history. They want people in this country to believe that's the history of the Republican Party. A flat-out lie, but that's what the left does best. The radical left has $42 trillion in proposals they want to impose on the American people. Free college, single-payer free government health care because the VA is working out so great. $42 trillion, ladies and gentlemen. Our annual gross domestic product is around $18 trillion. $42 trillion. On top of everything else, on top of all the other entitlements, on top of the rest of the welfare state, the massive debt we already have, soon to be the significant interest that we have to pay every year on the debt, they will destroy this country. Destroy this country. With their experiment which has failed everywhere it's been tried, everywhere. The only redemption any of these socialist countries have had is they've moved quickly to return to some form of market capitalism. They try to reverse course. Those that don't reverse course fail. And the more the government controls the economy, the more the government controls the individual. The more the government determines whether you'll be successful or not. Pointed out yesterday, the Democrats, a memo came out that Mark Warner was circulating, so-called moderate Democrat of Virginia, with a government takeover of the Internet. Not net neutrality, control of the Internet. Did you hear the media outlets talk about freedom of the press then? Freedom of speech? The First Amendment? No because they don't believe in it they believe in their freedom of speech and their corporate freedom of the press that's why they wouldn't blink an eye if Fox News collapsed they wouldn't blink an eye if talk radio was gone that's why they barely say a word about what goes on on our college campuses how people are intimidated because they have a different view Freedom of speech, they say they support. Freedom of the press, they say they support. No, they don't. They support freedom of their speech. Freedom of their press. It's quite different. And in the meantime, they hate tens of millions of us. Hate us. And as I said the other day, these people are playing with fire. When over 60 million people voted for Donald Trump to be President of the United States. 30 states. That wasn't a test run. That wasn't a vote. We said, okay, vote. Now you're, you can remove them. He said legitimately elected president of the United States. Fair and square. Fair and square. And they cannot tolerate it because they are of the totalitarian mindset. The totalitarian mindset. They have this idiot 28-year-old running around who's barely literate spewing soft Marxism with no comprehension whatsoever of reality much like the old man Bernie Sanders an Old Red nobody talks about removing him expelling him even though the things that he proposes would be so detrimental to the nation no, 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 only Trump I don't watch these shows, but we get clips of it for Levin TV and my radio prayer when I when I watch, listen to Scarborough and his girlfriend and the panel that he puts together every day for the purpose of smearing the president. And I hear his viciousness and his utter stupidity. And that this sort of thing can be aired. By Comcast, by MBC, on MSNBC. And then they claim they're a free press. It's amazing. And over there it's one after another. One one demagogue after another, spewing propaganda. You know, you can have liberals who talk about liberalism, so that's not what they're doing. They're trying to make it impossible for this president to function. And for his administration to function. In other words, they're attacking the core of our republic. That's what they're doing. And then they claim they represent free speech. They're like the military and they're protecting us. No, they're not. At least not the military of this country, maybe another country. I'll be right back.
0: and just read the news, he makes the news. Call the Mark Levin Show now at 877
1: I was sent a note from our friends at FilterBuy from a new customer. The customer said, I've been in the middle of a home renovation and there's drywall dust everywhere. Plus, the contractors are leaving the doors open and it's been over 100 degrees many days this summer. Last weekend, my AC unit stopped working on the second floor. It turns out that the filters were about 98% clogged with drywall dust, and it was choking the system. Buying filters was always a pain because my system needed custom sizes, but with FilterBuy, they were able to get me exactly what I needed fast and at a great price. Thank you for advertising with Mark Levin. Well, because of stories like this, FilterBuy is America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses. Choose from over 600 sizes that ship for free within 24 hours, plus they're manufactured in America. Save pi- 5% when you subscribe for auto replacement, which is what we do, by the way. Save time, save money, breathe better with FilterBuy.com. That's FilterB-U-Y.com. Filterby.com. Tell them Mark sent you. Well, Mr. Producer, until I get my call screen up and working, I will leave it to you to give me a caller, preferably somebody who disagrees with me. Kevin, 870 the answer, California. Go right ahead.
2: I don't disagree with you at all, Mark. I want to make a quick comment on this Comey Mueller, Rosenstein, and Mueller and his hit squad I'm a former police officer here, uh, Mark, and you can imagine what happens when I get called for jury duty. Even if I even if I don't know anybody that's uh, you know involved in the action, I get booted as quick as you can say conflict of interest because I'm a former police officer.
1: Mm-hmm. And your point is? My point
2: is is that how in the world can these folks, Comey, Mueller, Rosenstein, and and the rest of the group, even have have an ounce of uh, an ounce of um, lack of conflict of interest. I mean, no matter, I mean, if this thing turns south in some way, which I don't believe it will, by the way, um, I mean, it it just the, just the poor judgment in putting together a team like this and the relationships like this, I just don't understand how it happens, Mark.
1: Well, you know as much as I know, right?
2: By the way, I love your Sunday night show.
1: Thank you. Uh, by the way, this coming Sunday night, Don't miss it. Don't miss it. I'll talk about it more tomorrow and the next day. But it is unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Thank you very much. Anthony, the great WCBM in Maryland. Go. Hi, Mark. I'm a first time caller
3: and I am a Democrat and I did vote for Trump. I am wondering if he's impeached. I can't stand for this either, but if he's impeached for something that he didn't do, don't these people realize that there's a possibility that there could be a civil war? And this is coming from a Democrat. Mm -hmm.
1: I don't know what's meant by a civil war, but I will tell you this. The division in this country will be unfixable, absolutely unfixable, and the constitutional system may be broken for good. Because impeachment can now be used to replace a president that the other party doesn't like, which clearly was not the intent at all of the framers. And if you can use a prosecutor this way to simply spend his time trying to so burden a president to make it difficult for him to function, and then try and set him up as if he's some kind of petty thief. Uh, then the system is thoroughly broken. Separation of powers, the unitary executive, uh, principal officers versus inferior officers, confirmation processes, the whole thing. And that'll be just fine by the the status progressives who run the Democrat Party. They're like the aliens who took over the Democrat Party. I remember a time when I didn't agree with a lot of the Democrats and so forth, but you understood that they really weren't out to destroy the system. But these guys are out to destroy the system.
3: I'm ashamed of this party.
1: hmm Well, there you go. All right, my friend. And I, uh, I appreciate your honesty, sir, as a matter of fact. All right, who else do we have, Rich? Miranda, Arizona, on the Mark Levin app. Go right ahead.
4: Hi, Mark. I'm a first-time caller and a millennial woman, and I love listening to your podcast. Um, I love the historical content that you bring to our modern-day era of issues that we're dealing with, and I was hoping I could ask you a historical question um, about Abraham Lincoln and how the Democrats were conspiring against him, kind of like they're conspiring against Trump. Um, You know, they called Lincoln a dictator, uh, making the South... By the
1: the way, some of them still do, like the Ron Paul types, they still call him a dictator.
4: Right. And so they said that Lincoln... Uh, was unconstitutional and being a dictator and trying to make the South do
3: things that the South thought that they well.
1: What they're talking about is at one point he suspended habeas corpus, as applies to certain uh, activities in Maryland, especially because Maryland was a divided state. Part of it was for the North, part of it was for the South, uh, but it was a crucial, particularly communication and commerce center from the from the North down through Washington D.C. And what the rebels were trying to do was cut off Washington, D.C., and Lincoln wouldn't permit it. And so he started to have certain individuals locked up. uh, And so they point to that as evidence that Lincoln was a dictator.
4: So what's your opinion? I mean, some call him a man. I think Lincoln
1: was a magnificent man and president. Absolutely so. Uh, When you read uh, James Madison and you read his response to a letter that was sent to him, uh, what he thought about secession and nullification, he rejected it. And, a matter of fact, he appointed, among other things, Article 5, Convention of States as a way to try and address it. Uh, but he felt that, here's what Madison said, he's considered the father of the Constitution. He said that when the uh, when the Constitution was adopted by these various states, that those individuals in the states became citizens not only of the states, but of the national country, too. I'm not going to relitigate litigate the uh, Civil War here, but uh, I feel Lincoln was a very, very, uh, wonderful president, and I feel like uh, the nation would have benefited from him after the Civil War, but of course he was assassinated. Right, right. All right?
4: Okay, well, thank you.
1: Now, if you want to talk about FDR, now there's your dictator. Absolutely, oh. in my view, the way he undermined the constitutional system, the way he tried to— uh, uh, stuffed the court with leftists, the way he crammed down um, uh, regulations and did a number of things that were unprecedented and advanced the progressive cause. That's why they think he's the greatest president ever. Uh, and also the way he treated minorities, including uh, uh, in, including um, uh, Japanese-Americans. He's the one who signed the military orders to set up the internment camps for Japanese-Americans and Americans of Japanese descent. Yeah. Not not uh, Trump. So tell me, Trump should be impeached? For what? Meanwhile, FDR was elected four times.
4: Yeah, and they praise him.
1: Oh, endlessly. Because he's yeah. a leftist. All right, my friend, thank you for your call. All right, Rich, who do we have next? On the Mark Levin app, Mike in Arkansas. Go ahead.
5: Yes, sir. Uh, my name is Mark. I'm a first-time caller. I love you. you love your show. And uh, I just had a question I wanted to pose to you because you're probably very on this, and you could answer it for me if worst case scenario happens in the fall and the Republicans lose the House of Representatives and the the House sets up articles of impeachment whenever he whenever Donald Trump goes to a trial in the Senate, will that force the DOJ to turn over some of these documents that they've been stolen while in Congress with?
1: Well, it all depends on how the trial goes, you know uh the the judge who heads the trial is the Chief Justice of the United States. The last impeachment we had, Rehnquist, barely did anything. So I'm sure that the president will be able to call for documents and so forth. But we got to fight to make sure it doesn't get to that point.
5: That's right. That's right.
1: All right, my friend. All right. Thank you very much. You too. New Jersey, the great WABC. Thomas, go. Hey, thanks, Mark. Mark,
5: we all all sane people agree that the Mueller prosecution is illegitimate in every way shape or form. We continue to play defense. We talk constantly about whether or not Trump should sh- sit down, answer questions and justify an illegitimate process. What recommendation do you have for his for his defense team to attack the process, to say that the, the the prosecution is illegitimate. And
1: get this... Sir, honesty. Sir, do you listen to this program? I've laid out every conceivable constitutional battle plan I can possibly think of. Are you asking me for a PR strategy? They seem to be doing pretty well. They're attacking Mueller. They're, what, else? They're, 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 uh, and what else is there? They're playing t- whether or not he should sit down and answer questions. No, well, no, no. They don't want him to sit down and answer questions they they are uh, trying to limit the scope of what the prosecutor might ask they're trying to uh, make the prosecutor explain what his authority is this is a dance but, but if the prosec- if the prosecution is illegitimate you're justifying it by well the- I believe it is now let's say we get to the Supreme Court sir and five justices say it's not well, that's a long way from tip around. Well, you're supposed to represent your client and protect them. And so what they're trying to do is, I see it, and I don't have the details, they don't, they don't consult with me, is try to make this so narrow that they don't care if the questions uh, address a particular issue or two. They're not out there to hurt their, their client. He can indict a Thanks hand. for your call. I don't know what else to say. He wants to go on, and I'm telling you, the broader audience. And it looks like his lawyers are doing a pretty good job right now. We'll see. They're not saying that Trump should just answer any question in front of them because I think the prosecution's illegitimate. I think the Constitution is the president's friend. But I'm not on the Supreme Court. So what they have to do as a practical matter is protect their client, try to narrow as much as possible any questions, narrow the way the questions are asked, take things off the table, no Comey, no obstruction, and so forth and so on. Then the prosecutor objects. Then they litigate. But then the court can see that the president of the United States, look, we, we made some reasonable offers. They wouldn't accept it. We don't need a constitutional crisis. He's creating it. So that's the game, game plan, at least as I see it. I'll be right back. love in. All right. You don't owe thousands to the IRS, do you? Probably not. So you don't know the depths of depression, sleeplessness, anxiety. My listener endured before taking my advice and calling Optima Tax Relief. He owed over $40,000 to the IRS with no way to pay, much less the interest and penalties that compound daily. He was in IRS crosshairs, aggressive, collection calls, threatening letters, And if you want to know what Optima did for my listener and how little he ended up paying the IRS, go to OptimaTaxRelief.com, watch his verified video, and prepare to be impressed. Now picture yourself with your IRS nightmare in your rear view. That's what Optima does. They know that behind every tax problem are honest, hardworking people, families, homes, savings, and paychecks that need protection. They've resolved over half a billion dollars in tax debt for clients, so why put yourself and your family through this? Visit my friends at com, or call 800-499-6300. 800-499-6300. That's 800-499-6300. Amy, Colorado Springs, Colorado XM Satellite. Go.
3: Mark, you're absolutely brilliant. Thank you for tonight's show.
1: Well, you're um, very kind. So-
3: uh, one, what the only comment I had is, I know we don't want anything to go to trial here for the president. He's been wonderful. But I don't think these Democrats realize, in the case that he's kicked out of office, they would get a President Pence. It's not a do-over for Hillary, um, by any means.
1: But, but no, no, no. But, you see, the whole process distracts from, from President Trump uh, doing his duties. They don't just... Pence doesn't just step in right away. That's number one. Number two, Pence wasn't elected president. Trump was elected president.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So. Very true. Yes. And and I voted for him, and I'm going to vote for him again. Um you know, but I, I was just thinking that, is that some Democrats that I know, you know, they seem to think it's a do-over of the, of the election and that Hillary would be placed in office somehow. Well,
1: I hear all the time that we need to get along with these Democrats. I say this all the time, that we need to speak, you know, and have a, have a civil debate and everything else. And I sit here and I think to myself, with whom? With whom? Mm-hmm. They're trying to destroy a president who's duly elected. They're destroying our constitutional republic. They insist that we have open borders. They want to change the, uh, the voters in this country, <clears throat> change the culture in this country. And I'm supposed to have a civil discussion with this. This is what you hear from people who've never gotten dirt under their nails, who are not activists, who haven't fought in political campaigns and so forth, and do not have a long view of the future and a long view of history. This isn't a debating society. Ideas are crucially important, but that's part of the, uh, the, the process, not the end of it. It's the beginning of it. And so having a, uh, a debate among a circle friends, a circle of friends, is not good enough. It's not good enough. It shows no courage, it shows no conviction. And so I tell people all the time, you need to join convention of states. Told people all the time during the Reagan Revolution, you got to get involved. Tell people all the time about the Tea Party movement and so forth. That's the only way that we can reverse course. It is the only way. We are up against uh, individuals, if you understand their history and their thinking, and we do, they're leaders as status progressives. We are up against individuals who uh, have as their purpose the, as they say, the fundamental transformation of this society. And so, I mean, you can talk to a point but uh, but talk is cheap over, over a long period of time. All right, thank you, Amy. Let us go to uh, people of all kinds of wild ideas. Kevin, Manchester, New Hampshire, the Mark Levin app. Go ahead.
5: Thank you, Mr. Levin. It's a pleasure to talk to you again. Um, thank you. I've been for a long time, and I really do appreciate the education that I missed when you were working for Mr. Reagan. Um, I just wanted to get your input on a very important concept, Um, The man who became president had to sign a contract to take on that position as president. It's a job, obviously. We all know this. So any of the things that he did in his private life prior to becoming president is not subject to anything that this Mr. Mueller guy thinks he can do because he wasn't president. After becoming president, everything's fair game. If you commit a crime, high high crime and misdemeanor, like you were just saying, which we all know, well, yeah, you can discuss it. Maybe you can bring it to the Congress and see what they'll do. But you can only touch the man's life after he becomes president. You can argue and argue and argue. Well,
1: that's not really accurate. I mean, um, if something comes out about somebody's past, let's say, and let's put Trump aside, let's say somebody was a spy for another country. Obviously, you can do something about that in the, in the present. So, um, and criminally, when it comes to the president, you just have to wait till he's out of office. And the statute of limitations runs. That's too bad, as the memos point out at the Department of Justice. So everything that's been done in the past is not necessarily immune. It just depends what it is.
5: So the idea of the concept of contract, even... There is, there is no
1: concept of contract. Okay. I There's no contract pre- at all.
5: In order to take on the position as president, you have to do the job,
1: right? Yeah, well, you have to do the job, and that's one of the reasons why all these efforts to attack him are both illegal and unconstitutional. All right, my friend, I appreciate your call. We'll be right back. Well, a couple of things important before we leave the air in our final hour of the program. The Manafort trial. (laughs) You know what's interesting? As I read the various uh, reports about what took place in the courtroom, do you know that the FBI knew Manafort had several overseas accounts several years ago? They didn't do anything about it. Not that the fact of having an overseas account is illegal, but they never really dug into it. That's kind of remarkable, isn't it? Well, Mr. Gates was uh, on the stand for a very brutal cross-examination. And um, I'm just trying to pull it up here very quickly. Give me one second, everybody. Everybody, sing along. Well, what happened was, uh, I'll just do it from memory, which is that uh, okay. Hold on, the defense suggests Gates had four extramarital affairs. Actually, this does—it's even better than that—in terms of the information that I want to. Uh, in rebuttal questioning, this is this morning. Prosecutors show Gates hid income from offshore accounts in 2014 FBI interview. Kevin Downing, Manafort's lawyer, ended his cross-examination of Rich Gates by asking what Manafort's net worth was around 2015-2016. Was it $20 million, Downing asked? Gates responded he wasn't privy to Manafort's personal finances and didn't know the value of all of his properties, but I thought somewhere in the realm of $6 million to $12 million. Prosecutors have said Manafort reported widely different numbers for his net worth on loan applications over a three-month period in 2016 he represented his net worth at $15 million, $17 million, $21 million, $36 million, according to court documents. Special counsel Greg Andres then came back to the lectern. He started by rebutting the idea that Gates and Manafort were honest with the FBI in 2014 when agents were investigating their former Ukraine client, Viktor Yanukovych. Gates agreed that the agents did not ask about tax returns and that most of the Cyprus accounts at issue were already closed at that point said he didn't tell the agents about any hidden income from those accounts. Gates again testified that Manafort asked him to go to France and meet with one of the Ukraine patrons, a wealthy politician, Gates said. Manafort wanted to know whether the entity used to pay them was clean, used only for those payments and nothing else. And it goes on. But here's the part earlier in the morning. Rick Gates took the witness stand describing how he'd been interviewed by the FBI as far back as 2014 about his work in the Ukraine and believed he had told the truth. Under questioning from defense counsel, Downing, Gates said he met with FBI agents and Justice Department lawyers in July of that year. The way he understood it, the Bureau was investigating money that the Ukrainian, the political candidate for whom he and Manafort had worked, might have taken out, met money out of Ukraine. Notably, Gates said he disclosed to the FBI some of the Cyprus and, Gren- and Grenadine's bank accounts that he and Manafort used to receive payments from the Ukraine benefactors. He said Manafort told him they should be open and provide the information, quote-unquote, in response to the Bureau's questions. Gates testified he told the FBI that they opened the accounts so they could easily get payments from the people they worked for in the Ukraine. The Post says the testimony is important because prosecutors have sought to demonstrate that Gates and Manafort hid their connection to the accounts. and didn't open, it did not report them on required forms. That is the basis for some of their charges. They're disclosing the accounts to the FBI in 2014. Cuts against the idea that they were hiding them. Gates also testified that he and Manafort talked about, after their interviews, and Manafort indicated he'd been truthful in his own conversation with the Bureau. Now, isn't that interesting? Very interesting. Now, let's see here. Near the end of his questioning of Gates, Prosecutor Andrus asked about the affair Gates disclosed during his testimony yesterday. Gates said it was a five-month affair that occurred ten years ago. Gates said it was something he discussed with his wife and had told Manafort about. Andrus spent much of the questioning trying to rebuild Gates' credibility after the defense cross-examination. Gates testified he voluntarily disclosed to the FBI that he was embezzling from Manafort. Gates also testified that Manafort said they didn't need to disclose the foreign bank accounts or report the money coming into the accounts to tax advisors. Addressing defense questioning of Gates' motivations for testifying, Andres asked again about Gates' plea deal and the prison time he faces. Did Gates think he faced up the 200 years in prison on charges out of the federal court in Alexandria? Andres asked. Gates said he thought he would face a lesser sentence. Judge Ellis interjected, asking how short Gates thought the sentence would be. I thought it was in the range of 100 years, Your Honor, Gates said. Kind of odd. There was more. Stick with me. Defense suggests that Gates had four extramarital affairs between 2010 and 2014. They're trying to show he's a pathological liar about all things in a sleazeball. Rick Gates stepped down from the witness stand before 11 a.m. Wednesday after a stunning suggestion from one of Manafort's defense attorneys that Gates might have had four extramarital affairs. The suggestion came in a final round of cross-examination from defense attorney Kevin Downing. After prosecutors asked Gates about his pre-trial and prep with special counsel lawyers, and Gates testified he had no doubt at all that his plea agreement would be shredded if he lied on the witness stand, Defense counsel Downing probed more into what he referred to a day earlier as Gates' secret life. So he's trying to show he did. In fact, just lie on the stand. Defense attorney pointed to about $3 million in transactions from 2010 to 2014 that he has suggested represent money Gates embezzled from Manafort. He noted an extramarital affair that Gates admitted to Tuesday. Then he asked Did Gates recall telling the special counsel's office that you actually engaged in four extramarital affairs? Prosecutors objected, asking why that question was relevant. Downing said it might speak to the idea that Gates' is lying on the witness stand will result in his plea agreement being torn up. The lawyers convened at Judge Ellis' bench for a lengthy conversation that was shrouded in white noise piped through the courtroom. When the conference broke up, Downing did not ask the same question. Instead, he pointed to the 2010-2014 time period and his earlier questions about Gates' secret life. Those questions first prompted Gates to reveal an affair. Downing asked Gates if his secret life encompassed this period of time. Mr. Downing, I say I made many mistakes over the years, Gates said. Ellis interrupted telling Gates to answer the question. It did, Gates said. And so it goes on. Uh, let's see here. There's not, there's not a lot more. The judge sparred with prosecutors again after a lengthy break at lunchtime. Just T.S. Ellis again sparred with prosecutors over the pace of the trial and evidence they want to admit. Such heated arguments have been a common occurrence in the trial. The latest dispute centered on charts that prosecutors want to show jurors demonstrating the flow of money from Manafort's offshore accounts to specific purchases he made in the United States. They intend to do so as they question the next witness, FBI accountant Morgan McGonis. Defense attorneys argue the charts were cumulative essentially repeating evidence about which other witnesses already had testified. That argument appealed to Ellis, who has repeatedly pushed prosecutors to increase the speed with which they are presenting their case. Ellis noted that the defense was not contesting that Manafort made the purchases with foreign accounts, and he questioned whether an elaborate presentation with an FBI accountant testifying about the charts was necessary. In arguing that he should be allowed to use the charts, Prosecutor Greg Andrews said the FBI accountant had done a great deal of work to put them together. Look, it isn't relevant that she spent her life doing it, Ellis remarked, drawing laughter from those in the courtroom. We need to find a way to focus sharply, the judge continued. The exchange grew somewhat more heated. We've been focused sharply for a long time, Andreas said. He noted that the government had to tie specific receipts to specific payments. And that defense attorneys had not agreed to any formal stipulations on that topic. Defense attorney Richard Westling said defense attorneys would stipulate to one of the prosecution's charts, which offered a high level summary of Manafort's purchases and the flow of money. Andrews said he was at a loss, noting that the defense had not agreed to do so before Wednesday, that it would be faster to merely question the accountant's plan rather than write a formal stipulation. Ellis ultimately agreed to let Andrews question Magnus. Though he warned that Andres would be on a short leash and that Ellis would consider objections from the defense at his bench as testimony proceeded. Judges should be patient. They make a mistake when they confirmed me, Ellis quipped. What he's saying here in his own way is you don't get to pile on. You don't get to make it through witness after witness after witness the same point, the same point, the same point, the same point point over. The issue is whether there is intent. Intent in any of these issues not that you can overwhelm the jury almost propaganda style as the government let's see here uh, I think that's uh, that's about it for now we'll leave it there I'll be right back love in. Let's go to John Des Moines, Iowa on the Mark Levin app. How are you, sir?
3: Mark. God bless you. Uh, I just wanted to thank you for the profound effect you've had on me. Uh, About 11 years ago, I'd been sober for four years and wasn't sure what to do or where to go, and I started listening to you, and you you kept bringing up the Tocqueville and Locke and, and Adam Smith and all those, and I started reading those guys and figured out that you know, I'm responsible for myself, and, you know, just kind of based my life on on their, on their the way they describe things, and, you know, I now have a life that's based on a belief in in God and a reliance upon uh, divine providence because of you, and, you know, I'd have never made it this far without you. I just celebrated 16 years,
1: so wow. God bless you, sir. John, that's awfully kind of you, and I'm, we're all thrilled for you. How are you feeling?
3: I'm doing great. I started my own business three years ago. Um, I'm a truck driver. Um, You know, the last 16 years of my life have been more productive than the first 34.
1: Well, that's wonderful, and I wish you all the best, my friend. As a matter of fact, let me send you a copy of uh, Rediscovering Americanism, so don't hang up. And I appreciate your call very, very much. Mr. Producer, I want us to go to Cut3, Jerry Nadler of New York left-wing kook, really, on CNN last night, Now, Everything we've talked about for the last, what, two and a half hours? I want you to hear what Nadler has to say with Wolf Blitzer. Cut three, go.
4: Do you believe Robert Mueller should agree to an interview with the president without questions, specific questions being asked about obstruction of justice?
5: I think Mueller should insist on enter, on asking the president any questions that he thinks relevant to his investigation. Only he knows uh, where the investigation is leading. Only he knows what the evidence he already has is, and only he can make that decision. And the president, I think, is duty-bound to answer any questions that the special prosecutor, uh, special counsel, I should say, may ask.
1: Isn't this incredible? So the president should answer any question that the special prosecutor, he means special counsel, has even with respect to exercising his presidential duties, absolutely incredible and outrageous. But he's not alone. Jerry Connolly is a Democrat from Fairfax County, Virginia. He's as dumb as a doorknob. He's the guy that looks like a, a walrus in heat. And he's on with Blitzer, too. Cut four, go.
4: Should Robert Mueller agree to an interview with the president of the United States?
1: So he brings on a conga line, of left-wing kooks, makes a point by putting a question mark behind it to get answers he knows he's going to get, and that's called propaganda. And you say, well, don't we're the free press. We don't hate the people. We're not the enemy. Go ahead.
4: to ask questions about obstruction of justice. I don't think that
1: there should be limits on the special prosecutor. Uh, Donald Trump should be treated like any other witness, and should not be di- dictating the terms. Uh, you know, there can be See, But he's not every other witness. He's the president, and that makes a difference. Democrat administrations of Senate, Republican administrations have said they do not care about the rule of law. They do not care about law and order. They do not care about the Constitution. This is what they're all about. They want to unleash Mueller. They want to get rid of Trump. They want to reverse the election. These are appalling, appalling people. Go ahead. Go. But to actually take an entire conversation uh, off the table, uh, in this case obstruction, I think would be uh, a disservice to justice. So if they don't agree,
4: if the president and his lawyers don't agree to be interviewed uh, by Robert Mueller that could go uh, – th- 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 there could be a subpoena, obviously. If he rejects the subpoena, that could go all the way to the but, Supreme But look Court. at
1: the stupidity that is displayed here by the nature of the questions and by the answers. Go ahead. Right. So, and, and, and you know what? It's about time we test that. All so it's about of- time we have a constitutional confrontation. I mean, what the hell, ladies and gentlemen? Just because the Chinese are on the move, the North Koreans, the Iranians are on the move, Russians are on the move. Uh, well, there's many things that a president has to attend to here. This guy is unencumbered with any information. This guy, Connolly, hasn't read a damn thing. He's just saying what he wants. What he wants, that's all. Go ahead. Whether well, a president in a criminal matter can be subpoenaed. I believe that the president is like any other American and can be. Let's test that. Yeah. So we've talked about this at great length. It's not a matter of whether the president can be subpoenaed. It's a matter of what happens once the subpoena is received. Physically, you sign a subpoena and you issue a subpoena. So that's not the question. The question is then what? But you're dealing with very, very stupid people here. They are partisan hacks. They don't much care about any of the rest of it. And that's what's going on. Now, Jay Sekulow won't come on the show. Rudy Giuliani won't come on the show. I don't know why. But they interview each other, which is actually quite novel. And Rudy Giuliani is on the Jay Sekulow radio show. I didn't even know Jay Sekulow had a radio show. I'm just being honest, but I guess so. Cut to go.
5: It's about time that it it ends. I also think, and I hope the special counsel is as sensitive to it as we are. We do not want to run into the November elections. So back up from that, this should be over with by September 1st. Uh, we, we we have now given him an answer. Uh, he, he Obviously, he should take a few days to consider it. But we should get this resolved. If there's going to be an interview, let's have it. If there's not going to be an interview, then let him write his report. He's got all, honestly, he's got all the information that he needs the interview will provide nothing in addition to what he, what he already has.
1: Which is a very good point. Which is a very good point. So they just want to compare his answer to somebody else's and then raise the specter of obstruction or lying or, or what have you. And my attitude is, Mr. Mueller, what is your constitutional basis for doing this? And a variety of other questions as uh, requisite to any, any of this. Uh, So Mr. Mueller has to explain who he is, why he is, and what he thinks he can do. I think that's very important. I'll be right back.
0: Champion of liberty and true conservatism.
1: Call Mark now, 877-381-3811. Sunspots, brown spots, discoloration, and even red inflamed flame patches, all gone with the brand new Genesel Sunspot Corrector. Here's Ella Brown from Rockford, Illinois. She wrote, I have both age and acne spots, and this stuff is actually fading, both of them. This serum is worth every penny. And ladies and gentlemen, the Genesel Sunspot Corrector is here, and it's yours free just for trying Genesel today, a must-have for your summer. Finally, see those stubborn sunspots vanish and those bags and puffiness, you know, all gone. And for results in less than 12 hours, the Genocel Immediate Effects is all yours free. Light, clean, effective natural skincare that gives you amazing results and healthier, softer skin day after day. No one does it better than Chaminade. Go to com right now or call 800-SKIN-604. 800-SKIN-604. You be the judge. You'll see the magic of Chaminade or get 100% of your money back. That's a hell of a guarantee. 800-SKIN-604. 800-SKIN-604. Or Genesel.com. That's com. All right. Joe, Los Angeles, California, 870, the answer. Go. Mark, uh, given
4: that if Jeff Sessions was actually doing his job, prominent Democrats would be in jail instead of on TV campaigning and racketeering to cheat America, can Trump, in the during the Senate break, uh, appoint an interim, uh, an inter- interim attorney general, or even just replace Rosenstein, please. So we we would be
1: talking. All right, all right, all right. This. Slow down. Can the president fire a subordinate? You know the answer to that.
4: Well, shouldn't he? Because we should really. That's be That's a different about
1: question, this. isn't it? So let's play this out. You're about the tenth time I've had to deal with this. So let's play this out. So the president fires Sessions, and if you have your way, and Rosenstein. So what happens?
4: Oh no! Either either Sessions or Rosenstein's. I'll be happy to leave. Well, we okay. Can
1: president fires one or the other. What happens?
4: They get Brennan up. They get Susan Rice up. Pay attention.
1: Up. I'll try again. President fires either the Attorney General or the Deputy Attorney General. What happens then?
4: Okay. Then they uh, then the president appoints two people. To, what to, happens
1: so, to the president then?
4: Well, they'll say mean things about him, but oh. uh, obviously that really uh, is going to happen anyways.
1: I see. So there won't be a movement to impeach him, including with Republicans.
4: Can he just replace Rosenstein with something? Sarah, you're not
1: possible? even listening to me because you just keep repeating yourself. I'll try one more time. I don't have a lot of patience to begin with. The president can fire anybody in his administration. Anybody. He hired them. He nominated them. They were confirmed. He can fire them. The issue isn't a legal one, whether or not he can fire them. I'm asking you, politically, let's say he fires Rosenstein. What will the House of Representatives do? Let's pretend it's an SAT test. Go ahead.
4: The House, well, the House of Representatives will do exactly what it's done. Some people will call
1: for a sentence. Thanks for your call. My God. I think people sit at home sometimes and they have these these ideas and they insist that they're right. Every democrat will vote for impeachment and a third of the republicans. That's what'll happen. He'll be impeached. So do you want the president to be impeached just because you want him to prove that he can fire somebody under him? Isn't that stupid? I think it's stupid. So you lose. Now, that's not to say he can't fire him at some point, maybe after the election or so forth. But why would you set yourself up that way? And if, and if you support President Trump, why do you think he hasn't done it yet? President has enormous power. So if you have your way, sir, then the whole roof will cave in. I don't like it. I don't like the fact that we have a third of the Republicans who would vote to impeach this president. I don't like it for one second. And Lord knows what would happen in the midterm elections. Then all the crazies would come out. Media would cause them to come out. So I just, you know, you got to look at these like military operations. You got to look down the road. Okay, if I fire off this over here, what's going to happen over here and so forth and so forth. If you just want to beat your chest, that's fine. All right. Let's go to Zeke, Savannah, Georgia, XM satellite. Go.
5: Uh, simple fine, Mark. Hey, Thank I you. believe your grandfather and your father or, or your uncle would be very proud of you because
2: you're like the chesty puller of the talk radio out there.
1: Wow, what, a, what an honor that is to be called. I'm not, but that's very kind of you. Thank you.
2: Hey, sir. The, re-
5: the reason I was calling is because I have a question for you. You know, Manaport was locked up for potentially witness tampering and uh, suborning perjury with witnesses by trying to pay people to testify and stuff like that. What's yeah. the difference with what he he did and what the prosecution is doing with this plea bargain with this uh, guy that's trying to, they're trying to get him to change his testimony and making deals with him?
1: Well, that's an interesting uh, question from a philosophical point of view, but unfortunately prosecutors have been able to do this a long time. That is, to use certain people to get other people. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's abused, uh, as I believe in this case. So you got a guy like Gates, who was involved in money laundering, embezzling, uh, who was involved in uh, tax violations and so forth, and uh, basically charged with two counts. Then you have a guy like Manafort, who they really want to get, and he's got a, a, a bucket load of counts and can serve the rest of his life in prison. And what your bottom line is, look at the injustice of this. And I I don't disagree, but uh, the difference is that's the government, and they can do a lot of stuff we can't do.
2: Well, I appreciate your answer, sir. Thank you.
1: I know it stinks, doesn't it? But, Uh, you know, I'm I'm just a messenger.
5: It's a total injustice.
1: Yeah. All right, sir. Thank you for your call. I see Judge Napolitano is attacking the judge as being too partisan. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. Well, if a judge sees something taking place that he doesn't think is appropriate, he's just supposed to sit there and let the prosecutor... You're going to see a different kind of judge in Washington, D.C., a leftist, appointed by Obama. And she'll let almost everything in. She'll let the prosecution just roll on and on and on and go on and on and on. Perhaps that's the kind of judge he likes. I think. David! Racine, Wisconsin. Mark Levinap. Go ahead.
2: Thanks, Mark. I hope I'm not going to come across like an equine posterior, but I've yes, uh, okay. got the, a question about uh, um, is Mueller acting kind of like a modern-day and uh, with his uh, band of inquisitors engaging in a new uh, auto de fe?
1: The Spanish Inquisition. Yes, sir. Uh, well, that's like... Uh, uh, what was that British group? I can't remember that. The comedians, uh, Monty uh, but, Python's. Voice. Yeah, that's like a Monty Python skit. Which no I used one to expects love.
2: the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs>
1: exactly. Uh, my mind. Or of course,
2: uh, History of the World Part One was from Mel Brooks too.
1: <laughs> well, to answer your question, I mean it's not an exact parallel, but yes. Uh, uh, but but you know what? Uh, let's see how this how this works out. Let's wait till the end, see how it works out in this trial. Um, I think the judge sees an injustice here. Uh, I think the judge thinks the government really has piled on. Um, I think it was interesting. We learned today that the FBI actually was aware of at least some of these overseas accounts uh, in 2014. By my calculation, that's four years ago. And what do they do? Just look at them and move along? Well, they weren't the subject of the investigation. Well, why not? And I think the judge uh, made it clear early on that he views Manafort as, as really the goal was to use him to get to Trump. So, all right, my friend, thank you for the call and the levity. Uh, let's continue uh, with, uh, let's go, Lamont, Greenville, North Carolina, the great WNBU. Go. Uh,
3: hello. I would uh, like to see Trump agree to uh, be interviewed uh, with the FBI under the Hillary Clinton standard, where they write his exon- exoneration before they interview him.
1: That would be good. That would be
3: interesting. Uh, then they agree to just give him softball questions uh, off the record.
1: Yeah, exactly. But we know that won't happen, will it?
3: <laughs> Not a chance.
1: But it does underscore your p- the point, which is uh, he certainly has been treated quite differently than Hillary Hillary's still running around uh, like a mental patient uh, with all kinds of weird stuff coming out of her mouth. All right, Lamont, thank you for your call. Let's keep going. Jerry, Chicago, Illinois, the great WLS country. Go.
3: Mark, thank you for taking my call. I really enjoy your show.
1: Thank you.
5: My question is this. Why is Paul Manafort being
3: put through a living hell? Why is he the lead story on every newscast about his five- or six-year-old tax case when Al Sharpton, who owes the government over $4 million in taxes, is walking around as a free man?
1: Well, this is a good question, too. And, of course, uh, during his uh, his difficulties with the uh, government and the tax collectors, you're right, we didn't see a nightly show on this. You know, uh, the matter... Let, let's, I've said it before, let's be honest. Other than the fact that he was Trump's campaign manager, none of this would be happening, Tom. That's true. And... Nobody would care if it was. Uh, So, uh, and the judges said as much, pretty much. All right, my friend. Appreciate your call. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. I've had my share of mechanics calling me saying they found something wrong that needs replacing when I've taken my car in for an oil change. Those surprise high repair bills are terrible, aren't they? Especially when you're not covered by a manufacturer's warranty and you're paying out of your own pocket to fix them. That's why I strongly encourage you to get extended vehicle protection from CarShield. If your car is 5,000 to 150,000 miles, CarShield can save you from paying For high repair bills. Replacing your engine or even a simple sensor can cost thousands. When you're protected by CarShield, you can have your favorite mechanic or dealership fix your car. It's your choice. CarShield also provides 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car. While yours is being fixed for free. Get covered by the ultimate in extended vehicle protection. Get CarShield. Call 800-CAR-6100. 800-CAR-6100. Mention Levin and you'll get 10% off. Or go to carshield.com, carshield.com. Use code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N. Get 10% off. That's carshield.com or 800 cars 6100 Use code LEVIN and save 10%. A deductible may apply. All right, Hamas is at it again. They have fired a a number of projectiles, including missiles, into Israel. So much for this two-state solution. Uh, Out of the uh, Gaza Strip, the IDF has struck, struck now 12 Hamas terror targets, their air force has. The Israeli Air Force retaliated, and it is now, by striking targets in the Gaza Strip after 17 people were treated for injuries resulting from rocket attacks from Gaza against southern Israel. Following the barrages, the IAF struck 12 terror targets, including a plant used to manufacture components intended for the construction of tunnels, as well as tunnel for maritime terrorism along Israel's coast. number of terror targets and several military sites, including weapons and rockets, as well as a military compound that serves a central logistic warehouse, were also hit by IAF jets. Red alert sirens continue to sound in the south into the late in the evening. Hamas issued a statement, We're delivering on our promise. The resistance accepted the responsibility to even the playing field with the enemy. And it's succeeding in doing so. Well, I'm waiting for Jake Tapper at CNN and all the low IQ buffoons at CIN, regardless of race, color, creed, religion, or sexual preference, uh, for all of them to take Hamas's side, which is what they do. And the Congo line of, of malcontents and miscreants at MSLSD, I'm waiting for them to do the same. Waiting for them to do the same. Can you imagine a a a country or a, or a territory bordering the United States where they just fire missiles into your communities? Now it's estimated they have uh tens of thousands of these missiles, way more advanced, way more accurate. And uh, Hezbollah in particular, supported by the Iranians. Yes, indeed. All right. Code Pink Republicans are getting all worked up. They're wetting themselves as I speak. Danny, Corpus Christi, Texas on impeachment. Go ahead. Oh, it's
2: good to talk to you, Mark. Uh going back to what you're saying and you know about the impeachment thing and those that group of low life Republicans that are probably itching to do that anyway, I, I got a you know, a, a fear that Trump's gonna do one What's little that? misstep that's gonna bring that on anyway. Is there a way he can start armor-plating himself and talking about that and kind of put those guys in check before they do it?
1: Well, I mean, he can speak to the nation, and I think uh, at these various events he should and could. But uh, just tell me, do you think if the Democrats have a successful midterm election uh, that they're going to be persuaded by the president?
2: Oh, no, absolutely. Well, well, I'm not sure what they have to have.
1: Danny, the, the, the... the burden is on you and me and everybody listening to this program. It is a disgrace that in this congressional election in Ohio's twelfth district last night that eighty seven percent of the Democrats turned out and forty percent of the Republicans. What the hell's wrong with them? What, is it too hard to vote? What the hell is wrong uh, with well, these people?
2: They're not interested in the country, I guess, because they're gonna give it away if they keep that. You're up.
1: damn right. And when they give it away, it's it's even more than impeachment, but you would think that they care about our constitutional republic. Forty percent of the republicans turned out. Eighty-seven percent of the democrats. And you see that, and they knew it was a big election, and they still sat on their ass. It's a disgrace. Yes, sir. So there's really nothing. The president can't carry the whole country on his back. These candidates, some of them are absolutely awful. They need to raise a lot of money to fight the other side. It's not just up the Trump. They need to campaign aggressively and smartly pick the right topics, and hit away, hit away, hit away, also hit their opponents? I mean, I feel like we're dealing with the farm team here. All right, my friend, I have silenced you with my genius, no doubt about it. Thank you. Let us go to Marcus, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the great WRNN. Go. Hello? Let us go to Ryan in Detroit. Go. Come on, Ryan in Detroit, go. Hello. Yes, yeah, speak to me. Speak. Go. Hey, Talk Mark. Radio. How's it going? Okay. okay. All right. I just, I, I just want to comment that you know I agree with you that
4: it's absolutely devastating that Hamas
5: continuously, you know,
4: fires rockets into Israel. I think it's absolutely wrong. But I just, I'm curious why none of the media, neither.
5: You know, conservative or liberal, and re- refuses to uh, acknowledge the fact that Israel also kills plenty of innocent Palestinians with sniper fire, with uh, with tank
1: rounds. Sir, sir, uh, you're way off. Do you know why they use snipers? It's in order to try and limit uh, the casualties to people who aren't involved in the terrorist activities. So it's easy so, for to call see there he goes. It's easier for you to call in here but Israel also kills a lot of people and blah 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 blah. Let me tell you something. If on our southern border or northern border, let's pick our northern border, we had a territory there with one hundred and fifty thousand rockets, Lebanon, the Gaza Strip, whatever you want to say, aimed at our cities and they shot seventy rockets into our country, what would we do, sir? Tell me, how many countries would tolerate what's going on in the Gaza Strip on their border? How many of them would level the whole place when 70 rockets are shot? Pay attention, I'm educating you, you moron. Get off my phone. You shoot missiles into a country, it's called war. War. Except when it comes to Israel, right? Right. Thanks for your call. Not Detroit. I'll see you tomorrow. Take care.